listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Welcome in to another episode of the Launchpad Podcast presented by Apollo Media. I, as always, am your host, Don Nock. Um, you know where to find me on Twitter and the Air app at Don Nock. I'm joined by my fellow host, Prodigy. Prodigy, tell the people they can find you. Yo, what's up, everyone? Um, I'm Prodigy. You can find me at Prodigy NBA without the Y uh, on Twitter. That's where all my stuff finds itself linked to. And for the second week in a row, we are graciously joined by, um, you know, Apollo Media and Locked On Rockets host, Jackson Gatlin. Jackson, tell the people where they can find you if they've been living under a rock and haven't found you yet. <laughs> At JT Gatlin on Twitter, which is where all of my damage is done. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of damage last night by um, aforementioned Rockets Twitter um, in the victory over the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, Jackson really covered it well on his pod. If you want, you know, the, the game breakdown and stuff like that, definitely go over and check what he did out um, on our pod today. We're going to hit it from a little bit of a different angle. I'm a little bit more of like the sentimental angle of, of Harden coming back. And, you know, also the way the Rockets winning that game kind of shaped or, or is reforming the narrative you know, behind like what that game really came in as, because, you know, it could have ended the streak. It could have, it could have, you know, gone left for us, especially when Eric Gordon fouled out, right. There was a very, very, you know, wide range of outcomes that could have happened once Eric Gordon fouled out of that game. Um, but because the Rockets did win and, you know, the dramatic way that they, they ended up pulling that game out, um, you know, it kind of, paints another chapter moves in another chapter and you know the the saga that james harden has had in his exit from houston um especially with with some of the comments that that came out afterwards which he was very gracious so we'll get into that in a second but um jackson i'm gonna go to you first you know coming into this game what was really your emotions you know behind the harden comeback um which we kind of said when you did our pre-show meeting that there was like three main camps that people kind of fell into. So which camp would you say you put yourself in? Um, what did you think about the tribute video and how the fans reacted? So when Harden came out on the court and um, you know, do you think the reaction that was there was appropriate or, you know, even good or, or where you thought it should be at? I think the reaction in Toyota center was pretty much, you know, as it should have been right is, um, you know, during, during the pregame, uh, warmups routines, when the starting lineups were announced, uh, as soon as James Harden's name was announced, there was kind of like a mix of like cheers and booze. There were definitely way more cheers than there were booze. It was probably like, if I had to get assigned a number, I'd probably like a, say like a 60, 40 split, 60% were cheering, maybe 40% ish were booing, uh, but definitely more cheers than booze. And then as the game started, you know, very first couple possessions that James Harden touched the basketball. I mean, there were la- like the very first possession he had the ball in his hands. There were loud boos. Like, I mean, like everybody in Toyota Center ba- made sure that they knew, like, okay, we showed you some love during the warmups. Cool. Like, but now this, you're, you're the enemy now. Like, you're the opposing team. We're on a six game win streak. We're trying to keep this thing going. We're going to make sure you know you're in enemy territory right now. And then, you know, they, they, they did the tribute video during the very first time out, which I thought was the right move because things were very different. The last time James Harden was in town, the first time that he returned to Houston, right. Post trade still dealing with all the COVID protocols. There were only like, I think like three or 4,000 fans in the stadium. So it didn't feel like a real homecoming for James Harden that last time that he was in Houston. So this was for all intents and purposes, his very first like actual homecoming since the trade. And this is a completely different Rockets team than what was here, you know, during the original homecoming. Uh, I think, right, the only couple guys who were still on the team from last year's team were Christian Wood and Jay Sean Tate, KJ Martin, and I think uh, John Wall. And Wall's not even suited up, right? So uh, not like there's a whole lot of, like, animosity or anything going on, but you ask, you know, what the three camps, right, that I think a lot of Rockets fans find themselves in when it comes to James Harden, right, is you've either got Rockets fans who are just vehemently against James Harden. They don't like how he left. They hate him. They do, it doesn't matter, you know, the eight seasons that he played for the team, all the good, that he, none of that, right? It doesn't matter. They just hate his guts. 
Then you've got like the Rockets fans who are on the complete flip side of that coin that still jock for James Harden. They, they still love him. They want him to win a championship as a Brooklyn net, like all of this. And they're, they're completely just like, yeah, go do your thing. Harden. We're still, we're still your fans. I like to call those people rock nets fans, right? Because they, they root for the Rockets and the nets at the same time. Yeah. And then there's the middle, the middle of the line fans where they're just like, you know, you have, a, you have love for what James Harden did for the city of Houston. You appreciate what he brought to the team while he was here. But at the same time, you realize that his exit was, uh, you know, it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, right? He, he could have gone about it in a better way. Um, and, but at this point, it's kind of like bygones or bygones, right? Rockets are clearly in a rebuild. They're setting up for the future, all of that. And I think that's where a lot of, I feel like a majority of fans find themselves in that place, right? That middle ground where it's like, hey, we appreciate what you did for the city, but you're with another organization now. The Rockets have a clear-cut future. And I feel like that's kind of the reception that a lot of fans gave James Harden in Toyota Center is it was like, hey, we appreciate what you did for us, but you're not our guy anymore. You're not with our team anymore. You're somewhere else. And we've got a new group of guys that we're cheering for and that we are going to continue to be hardcore fans of. Because at the end of the day, you know, most people who follow sports are fans of a team, not necessarily just yeah. fans of a player. And I feel like that's usually the, the normal way to go about an NBA fandom. Absolutely. Um, uh, you done, Jackson? Yeah, I've got. Okay, I, okay, cool. I mean, I, so, I, I mean, I keep going. Well, I keep I going if you want me to. You, the way you looked away, I didn't know if you're about to cough or or <laughs> or you you were done. So, all right, no, no, no. Um, I'll mute the mic if I have to cough. Okay, man. gotcha. Perfect, perfect. This guy's a this guy's that's, a vet. That's how he knows, a, he knows how, what he's doing. All right, we're the rookies. No, see that, that that's how a pro does it. See, I'll be in the middle of the sentence and I'll just go, and then I'll just keep talking like that, like mute the mic real quick. So you don't hear the cough. Yeah. Anyways, go, no, that was incredible. This is incredible radio right here. All right. So thank you for clarification prod. We're going to jump to you real quick. You know, same question. You know, how'd you feel about the, the, you know, buzz around Harden's return? How'd you feel about the, the polls in the stadium? You know, you were tweeting from the uh, um, launchpad account and you were really doing a good job documenting, you know, which direction the fans were going like as the, the first quarter went on before the game started, you know, kind of developing. So how do you think about the fan reaction? What do you think about the the um, tribute video and you know wherever else you want to you want to take this question? I mean, yeah, uh, I I do agree with Catherine. There's like three clear cut positions. There's the the both extremes and then the middle ground. I find myself on the middle ground, and it was nice to see that um, most of the fans at the arena uh, felt the same way because. It felt like it was strictly business, you know. During the game, you're going to get booed. You're going to, like, we're going to do everything to throw you off your rhythm. And then when you're not playing on a tribute video and pregame, we'll cheer you on because we do appreciate what you did for the team. And you might have left the way you left. But I think a, a key point is the Rockets feel like they have a direction right now. And the fact that our rebuild was so accelerated and the fact that everything went right and we kept the thunder pick that didn't go to the thunder helped a lot of people kind of stomach what happened with James Harden because, hey, all's well that ends well. So um, I'm in that boat as well. I don't I don't have like a particular liking or hating towards James Harden. I do not wish that he is successful, but that's not because I don't like him. It's because it's good for the Rockets if he isn't. So but then onto onto the actual game. <laughs> he had a like we as Rockets fans know what kind of game um, last night was. It was one of those games where James Harden was could not find his rhythm. And then when he doesn't find his rhythm, he kind of pouts and and makes some some silly mistakes. And we saw we saw the the Rockets capitalize on that. I think this was a, a personal game for some of the guys. I think. Tate was like locked in. Okay, I'm stopping this guy. I'm, and he was pretty frustrated when when he, he went into foul trouble. But I mean, it's like that like, with most players. But it felt like he had an extra edge uh, last night. And then you had Eric Gordon who was popping off, and he made it a point to score on James Harden without the switch in the first quarter uh, when he was rolling. So then he had that post on Instagram afterwards, kind of like. <laughs> I don't really know how to interpret it, but the phrase that he used and the picture that he used that was him on Harden uh, also kind of told me like, okay, uh, this is like this. This was an important game for the team, and it was an important game for the fans. And regardless of our record, regardless of a win streak, we could have been like the worst team in the league with one win, 
this would have been one of the most important games of the season because that's just how sports are. And uh, I mean, yeah, I am I am forgetting one of my favorite moments as well. We saw Christian Wood deny Harden uh, at the at the rim once, like completely just bombed the ball, like absolutely denied. And we saw him like on the other end. I think he got stopped or something, but he, he threw like he stared down Harden and he was like kind of laughing at him. And for Christian Wood as well, he's got to feel like, hey, I thought we had something special here and he decided to leave anyway. So I think a lot of the players took it personal. And I appreciate that they had that extra edge to beat him, just because, not because it's Harden in particular, but because it's good for the Rockets that the Nets lose. I asked Steven Silas before the game if he felt that there was like any additional like mental or emotional component in this one because of you know, James Harden's return and obviously how things went, you know, how things ended, you know, with that situation last year and all this. And he kind of gave, you know, a pretty PC answer, like, no, like, you know, it's just another game. And, uh, but then post game, you know, Christian said that this one definitely had a little something more to it because it was James Harden. And so I, I think that, um, you know, there was definitely some, some differing viewpoints on how this team was viewing this game, but I, I absolutely got the feel from the guys that were out there that, were on last year's team and, you know, were around for that, you know, saga that, that ultimately ended the way that it did with James Harden here in Houston, that they definitely did come into this with a bit more of a mental edge. Like, you know, they wanted to stick it to him basically. Yeah. And, you know, when Eric Gordon played the recent game in um, New Orleans, a team that he had played on before, you really saw him kind of, you know, quote unquote, rise the occasion in that game and really take it seriously. And, you know, when he goes to New Orleans and plays there, typically the fans boo him, you know, fairly aggressively. And we've seen, you know, even in, even after that game, I think it was uh, Jake Madison of, of Locked On actually was kind of, you know, getting at Rockets fans a little bit on Twitter about that as well, um, or getting at Eric Gordon for, for not playing so many games there. But, you know, circling back to the Harden thing for me, you know, when Harden got traded last year, initially I was on the camp of, you know, I want to see this guy win a title, it was still fresh. I, I didn't like the things that happened with the team. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty loyal guy. I'm a pretty, you know, team oriented guy. And for to see him go out there and, you know, disrespect his teammates the way he did with, with a statement, like, I understand like that team probably wasn't good enough, but um, to kind of go out there and frame it like that in front of the media, it, it may be something he felt like he had to do. Um, but you know, I, I think it was a bad look for sure. And then in the beginning of the year, you know, not showing up to camp and, and things like that. Again, I feel like that's something he probably thought he needed to do to, you know, cause a, a ruckus to, you know, get his way out off the team. But that was definitely something I, I didn't like as well. But as that as last season went on, and you know, the Nets ended up not winning a championship last year. Coming into this season, I felt like I you really moved camps from someone who was more of a rock Nets fan into someone who, you know, I I really I think I've watched like one Nets game all year this year. I'm just pretty much disinterested from them you know some of that's also starting to cover the rockets more right you know i'm doing more of my time on rockets coverage and draft coverage and things of that nature but um coming into this game i, I just felt very flat i felt very neutral about it um you know it was like Harden was coming back and he had already come back last year and you know some people felt a lot more polarized than i felt like i did coming into the game and as the game went on you know slowly slowly that emotion started like coming out of me and it was like you know, Garrison Matthews jumps on the ball while it's rolling and, and James Harden, uh, you know, just watches it happen. And then we had the, uh, the again, Garrison Matthews, the, the blocked pass and then the dunk and he's screaming. And, you know, a lot of that started, you know, rushing back where it was like, you know, I guess since the Harden trade, we've kind of been accepting of the rebuild. And for that one night, it was like, this is, you know, even though it's like a watered down version of this is peak competition again. And you can see those guys wanted it so bad. And this morning when I woke up, just the, the, everything that happened last night, we did our Twitter space, of course. And um, all the stuff on, on Rockets Twitter that went on, everyone was, you know, getting, getting their, their tweets off for sure. I woke up this morning. It was just like, it felt like a, a page had been turned to get that win. And just to see Matthews and Tate play so well, even when Gordon went out of the game, it was like, it was just like very invigorating this to get to get this win. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they take it in the next couple of games. But I, I think not that this game fully closed the chapter. Obviously, you know, we need to see how Jalen Green and, and all those Nets picks pan out. But I think this was a, a good stepping stone in terms of a lot of Rockets fans really 
kind of moving on and, and getting past the the James Harden saga. Um, obviously, I'm speaking for myself mostly there, but the way that Rockets Twitter rallied last night was really something you haven't seen in in a while, and it was definitely awesome to see. But um, I don't know. Do y'all want to respond to that at all, Prod or Jackson? I would just say that of these <clears throat> of these last like three games of the winning streak, it's definitely kind of brought brought forth something that hasn't been here yet this season and definitely wasn't there last season, right? Where it's, you know, there's, there was a lot of, there was a lot of like meaningless basketball being played, right? Where it's yes. just like, yes. even going through like the 15 game losing streak, you're like, oh, like, okay, they're just going to lose a bunch of games. Cool. But it's, you know, it's frustrating because you weren't seeing like the growth, the development or all these, these, la- but these last three games specifically, starting with the win against the Orlando magic, then the Pelicans game. And now this, this big win against the Brooklyn Nets, it feels like the stakes are continually starting to rise, right? Where it's like, we haven't had stakes for this Rockets team in a while, right? It, it basically since the James Harden trade happened, and then, you know, Christian Wood gets injured and we're like, okay, well, the season's, you know, a bust, right? So then it just became, okay, individual development inside of each individual game about like, okay, how good is this guy playing? Did we see him take step forward, steps forward tonight? That kind of thing. Whereas now with this win streak that the Rockets are on now, now seven games long, there, is, there are some stakes there, right? Because now fans are invested. They're like, we don't want to see the win streak snapped, right? We want to keep winning to see how good this team can really be. Even if it means you're going to be, you know, you're going to lessen your lottery odds just a, a slight bit. I, I don't, I don't have any notions that this Rockets team is going to suddenly be like, you know, fighting for a play-in spot. I, I yeah. don't. I think they're going to hit some rough waters in the schedule. They're going to have some growing pains as the season goes on. Potentially, you know, moving on from Eric Gordon at the trade deadline is something else that would definitely, uh, you know, slot this team a couple or knock this team down a couple pegs, I should say, because without Eric Gordon, they wouldn't have won some of these games. They wouldn't be on this streak, right? He's been playing some some of the best basketball of his career. So all that said, you know, there's stakes right now for this Rockets team. I think we as fans of of sports are getting back into it, and they're like, yeah, like we're we're into it. We're emotionally invested, and we haven't been for a little while, and that's that's fun to see. It's good. It's good to be in that spot again. No, I, I think that was a perfect perfect encapsulation of what I was trying to get at the the, the way you framed that. But Prod, do you have any comments there to round out this segment before we move on? Yeah, no, it's it's just like you said, the page has been turned. We'll see you next. We will see you next next time we play the Nets. You're just a player like everybody else. Yeah, for sure. And you know, just just to round this out, um, there's there's been a lot of people that have said you know people aren't ready for a rebuild and things like that. And I, I think you know, jumping back to what Jackson just said about the stakes, I think you know, longing for that intensity, that playoff basketball intensity. I think that's going to be something that that that's a big transition for a lot of fans and not even just the losing, right. Just the people can be excited about a rebuild and be excited like to see young players grow and develop, but just having that, you know, playoff intensity is just, it's something that gets you going. And as a fan, you know, that's what really draws you into the sport and James Harden, his run was so successful in Houston. It made so many people fans, even in Houston, you know, that may not have been as active as a basketball fan, the same way, you know, when the Astros got really good, a lot of people became Astros fans that weren't necessarily, you know, big fans or, or that big of fans before. And it may be a while before we get to, to that level of, you know, competition again to the Western Conference Finals. And, you know, I mean, the best season we've ever had in franchise history with, with Harden and, and Chris Paul. But just for these couple of games, you know, for me, speaking only for myself now, it's it's nice to have that competition back. And hopefully we can get a few more games of competition before before the the win streak fizzles out so um that's gonna do it for our first segment um in the second segment we're gonna touch on a little bit about some player development and stick around we'll be right back looking for a better way to rep h-town be sure to check out apollohou.com for astros and rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else use promo code launch for 10 percent off at checkout apollo hou all houston all original And welcome back. Um, continuing on with Prodigy and Jackson, as well as myself, uh, Don. In segment one, we touched on, on you know, Harden's return. And a big part of that game was the young guys, right? Um, obviously, Josh Christopher had career highs. Um, Garrison Matthews, um, I don't think his were career highs. But, you know, him stepping up in the clutch with Eric Gordon out was, you know, 
another step in the, the development of his career, right? You know, he's been clutching in a couple games now during this win streak, but you know, just to see him take on the challenge of defending James Harden is very good to see. And um, what I'm going to start with in this segment, you know, just in terms of like this young player development and a guy who's not as young, um, Christian Wood, right? Christian Wood, even when we were doing some some trade talks with Roosh on the last pod that we did, was kind of framed, you know, Miles Turner, defensive guy, Christian Wood, offensive guy. And I think in the last couple of games, especially, um, and, and then interiorly, internally in this game, I've seen a lot of things out of Christian Wood that I've really liked, right? In, early in, in this game, in the first half, the Nets went to a um, – Actually, sorry, it was early in the second half. The Nets went to um, some sets where they were getting um, the double or the trap was coming to James Harden. They were getting the ball to either James Johnson or um, Nick Claxton as, on the short roll. And Christian Wood was having to come up and, and defend that action. And he got burned by it a couple of times. And then he eventually, like as he got to see more reps of it, figured out what he needed to do. He started coming up um, and, and forcing them to make a decision quicker. He got a block out of that same sort of um, action. And then uh, I think they got another play in transition. So for Christian Wood, he, he's he's already, well, not say fully formed as an offensive player, but like Christian Wood has the things that he does well offensively. You know, great pick and roll guy, pretty good pick and pop guy. He's got some level of, of you know, isolation game and, you know, off the dribble game, off the catch game as well. But for me, defensively, I think that's really where, you know, Christian Wood can go from someone who is, oh, we might make a mistake if we max this guy to someone where it's like, okay, we may overpay Christian Wood to stay here, but look at how he's taking strides defensively and we can bank on him continuing to improve because of the work that we've seen him put in and, you know, the growth that we've seen over the season. And, you know, it's still early in the season, but I, I think we've hit a point for me where, even in this winning streak without KPJ, Christian Wood has found ways that he's found ways to remain engaged in games, even when he doesn't start out well. And I think that's another big thing for him mentally, because some of the times last year, if, if him or KPJ come into a game, they don't shoot well, they're not involved early on. Even Christian Wood in the Golden State game this year, you know, he wasn't involved in the offense early on. And then he kind of, you know, lost his way and wasn't really engaged. And so to see him, go through bad stretches of games and then be able to turn on the second half the way he did in this game on, on both the offensive and defensive end. I think that's really promising for me and the way I view Christian Wood. So um, probably we'll go to you first. How, how have you viewed Christian Wood's growth so far over this season? And, and do you feel like he is taking strides in the right direction? Uh, I think so. I think from, from the start of the season and compared to last season, last season Christian Wood was always the guy that had games where he just wasn't locked in and he, he would just turn off the game. And this season, I, I think we've seen a more consistent effort from him, at least on the rebounds. Because last season we saw games where he had 20 rebounds and when we said we saw games where he had two rebounds. That's not really acceptable for for the center, uh, especially on a team that has no superstars. So they do need to hustle. They do need to take care of the small stuff. And this season, I think he's been pretty consistent rebounding. He's always fighting. He's always looking for that. But to me, and then defensively, like you said, he had a great game tonight. I think we've yet to see him put together a defensive performance combined with an offensive performance. It feels like sometimes he alternates between the two. He, if he's trying really hard on defense, then he doesn't look as locked in on offense. But I think he's gotten a lot better at knowing where to be. I think at the beginning of the season when he was playing the four, you could tell that that was not his game because he would like be in help position on the weak side and he would be too far off the corner and always give up the wide open three. Um, and since then, since his move to the five, that hasn't been a problem. Uh, I think he will still need to get better at defending like other bigs on ISO because he is uh, like really thin and he struggles with power players but uh, I think it's definitely good that with the improvement we've seen thus far and to me the biggest improvement he's made during the season is the start of the season he had this mindset that he was going to be a shot creator he was going to be like this wing type big uh, and I think as the season rolled on and as we lost game after game after game he started to realize that 
that's just not his game. Like that's something that's fine for him to to use uh, to have it in his back pocket in case he gets a chance to do it. Like he did in New Orleans against Valentinus. But he's realized that the bread and butter of his game and what makes him so great on offense is him playing the pick and roll game, playing the pick and pop game. And he's recognized that. And with Kevin Porter Jr. and now to a lesser extent, sometimes with Keishan Tapes, sometimes with Eric Gordon, he's realized that he's really, really tough to stop in those situations. And he's made a point of emphasis to do that. And we see sometimes in games, the first two or three minutes of the game, some games he won't do that, and he'll see that he realizes, okay, this is why the game is not working. Let me let me go get more involved, setting picks, setting, rolling, uh, popping out, and I think that's a really key point uh, when I think about should we keep Christian with Is is exactly this him sticking sticking to his strengths and not trying to be some someone who he's not, and I think that mentality is a huge step for him. He's been, when you think about Christian Wood too, I think his like offensive awareness has gotten increasingly better. And obviously it was, it was really tough to watch him try to operate with Daniel Tice on the floor. Uh, you know, the spacing was just atrocious and it, it clogged things up for him. It's, it was awkward because then you had to use Tice as the roller or as the, as the screen setter in the roller. And you basically stationed Christian Wood in the corner. And that's just not who he is, right? He's a guy who needs to be involved in the action to open things up for himself or others. But <clears throat> there've been so many like points throughout this win streak for the Rockets where Christian's awareness of how to read things offensively as he's rolling to the rim. Like sometimes he'll start the roll, right. And he's like rolling really hard. And then the ball handler, whether it's KPJ or Gordon or whoever gets him the pass on the little roll towards the rim. And he realizes that he doesn't quite have the advantage, like on the way to the rim. So he'll, he'll like backpedal it out to the three point line and then he'll face up and, you know, get the defender on his heels. And whether that means he like, you know, pulls up into a three point shot or kind of pulls the ball back out and then drives it in on the defender his just awareness of how to get to his spots offensively has been a lot better. I still wish that we would see Christian utilize his face-up game a little bit more. He talks all the time, right. About like comparing himself to Anthony Davis and Giannis Antetokounmpo and like these other like all time great players. And I see like bits of it, right? Like I see pieces of that. And so like, I get where he's coming from that mentality. Like the play style is a little bit sure. Um, one thing I'd really like to see more out of Christian Wood mo- moving forward and something that could, could be a catalyst to like understand like, okay, can this guy, you know, is this guy worth maxing out? Right. Is a, him further understanding like where to get his from offensively. I, Cause I feel like still at times he chooses like the wrong matchups. Like he's going to like post up the bigger, stronger guy rather than dragging them out to the perimeter and using his speed and agility to get past them or vice versa. He's facing up like the smaller scrawnier player. And you're like, no, like power this guy down. Like, come on, use the mismatch to your advantage. So I think like some of those, the awareness isn't quite there. His face-up game is lethal. Like I would love to see Christian Wood get at least like three to four, like face-up opportunities per game, just right there in like the 15 to 18 foot range, face up his defender, size them up, and then either use his first step to get past them or like get the get his shoulder, get his body into them and then elevate above them. It feels like we don't see that enough from him. And so that's kind of an area of his game that I'm looking forward to seeing grow moving forward. For sure. And just to your point about, you know, the offensive awareness and, and um, we'll say processing, right. There was a play last night where he, he got the ball down um, into like the mid um, the mid wing area and a, a double came over. I think there was even a, maybe a third defender that was coming over to try to, to jam him there. And last year we saw tons of times where, he would get in that situation and he would look around and he would look up at the basket like he was about to force a shot. And when I saw that third guy starting to drift over, I was like, you know, here we go again. Christian Wood's going to hold on the ball for too long. And to my surprise, he, he turned around, he recognized where the defender was coming from and, and he got the ball out uh, where he needed it to go. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, lightning fast recognition on, on where he needed to send the pass. But again, like it was a step in the right direction where his, his processing, his recognition is, is trending the right way. And it's good signs for me in terms of Christian Wood. And, you know, when we can get KPJ back and really get the, the pick and roll going again, I think that would be even better. Um, another development I want to talk about is Jay Sean Tate, right? Um, I can't, so I can't remember which game it was. What was the Jay Sean Tate game? Was it the was it the Pelicans game that he took over? OKC, second game. OKC, okay, second OKC game. 
So, oh yeah. So in that game, right, Jayshon Tate had career highs. Um, you know, just looked like mini LeBron or Anthony Mason, whoever you want to compare him to. Um, and you know, it would have been easy to write that off and say, you know, Tate rose the occasion and you know it was a one-off. But last night, once Eric Gordon went out of the game, you saw Jay Sean Tate really in his head say, I need to get myself going to the basket because that's how we're going to get good offensive, get good offense going here. And I think he got, you know, two or three foul calls out of that with the free throw line. Um, I think he actually didn't shoot that great from free throw line last night. Yeah. Four of nine from the free throw line, but you know, just even getting those opportunities when you don't really have a primary creator other than him out on the court, it, it was really good. I think it stabilized the offense. Um, and it let everyone else settle down and, and let the team get into, you know, Garrison Matthews being able to make plays on defense and turn defense into offense. And Armani Brooks, you know, able to move around and, and get shots um, off the catch like that. You know, you have to settle down and, and be able to get in your sets. But, you know, do y'all think, well, I'll call it takeover Tate, is something that we can see even when KPJ and Jalen Green come back? Um, Jackson, I'll, I'll let you answer first. I think it should be something that we can see. And I think that's going to be part of this team growing and learning to play together and learning each other's strengths and weaknesses. Obviously the bread and butter for this team, once everybody's healthy and they've got everybody all, you know, all their guys out there and nobody missing from the lineup minus John wall, um, then their bread and butter is the, the Kevin Porter jr. Christian would pick and roll, right? That's where, you know, all the offshoots of the rest of the offense are kind of, you know, built off of that. But that doesn't mean that they can't occasionally run a few other things, put the ball in somebody else's hands offensively, be it give Christian Wood his chances to ISO, right? Give, uh, you know, give Jay Sean Tate the ball on the wing in dribble handoff sets. Give Jay Sean Tate the ball down low in the post, right? Let him have opportunities to take over. I think in the beginning set stages of this um, <clears throat> of this Rockets Nets game, we kind of saw that the Rockets have needed to find additional playmaking and, and creation from other guys in the absence of Kevin Porter jr. And so they've been leaning very heavily on point EG, which doesn't always look the cleanest, but it gets the job done uh, more or less. And, and point Tate, right. Jay Sean Tate running the offense, having the ball in his hands a lot. And I think there was a very much a uh, concerted effort at the start of this Nets game to get Jay Sean the ball in some of his sweet spot areas, right? They got on the ball a lot on the low block, let him post up some guys trying to get to his left hand, you know, creating opportunities, you know, not only for himself, but for his teammates. And they don't have to just go away from that. Just, okay, PJ's back. We'll just let him run everything. Right. I think, and that, I think that's the sign of, a team that's starting to trust itself and trust each other on the floor is they're willing to give guys the ball and let them have opportunities in their spots, right? They're all starting to figure out, okay, this guy likes the ball here. I know he likes the ball here. Oh, I'm, I'm going to come around this corner and there's a flare screen happening over there. And Garrison Matthews is going to cut this way and I'll be able to hit him, you know, with a, with a pocket pass right to the corner spot or something like that. They're understanding each other's tendencies finally. And that'll be a big test for KPJ when he comes back, right? Is, KPJ did a great job during that little, little stretch where he was, you know, came back from injury the first time in making it a point every single night to try and feed Christian Wood, like every single role you would see KPJ. He was just actively hunting for Christian Wood, trying to find him on like, it looked like every single play trying to track down Christian Wood. And then there were some games, there were some moments in these games where he kind of got away from that, right. Where he started, you know, looking for his own shot a little bit too much. That's a big test for him as a point guard moving forward is, not only how in, how involved can you get your your big man, your your potential all-star teammate in Christian Wood, not only how much can you get him involved, but how much can you get the other guys involved, right? Can you find a spot where, okay, Jay Sean Tate just bullied a smaller guy. He's got the same smaller guy on him again. All right, call out that mismatch. Bring the ball up and get Tate in the post so that he can take, take advantage of that mismatch a second time, right? And it's reading the floor and identifying these you know areas of strength for your team that KPJ needs to get better at moving forward. I'm, I'm interested to see how he does it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Prod, what are your thoughts on, on Tate and you know, how he's been able to, to really impact these games late and how you think that will translate moving forward? Yeah, the, um, the thing I like about Tishan and the way, like when I'm watching the Rockets, I'm always thinking, okay, who can these guys be when we eventually contend? And I think Tishan can be that Swiss Army knife that gives you a little bit of everything. 
and on every single championship team, we saw the Rockets boil it down too much to like set role player archetypes, like three and D guys, like pick and roll bigs, like sharp shooters and stuff like that. I think Jayshan doesn't fit a single archetype, and that's what's so great about him. And the fact that he's realizing that if he needs to take over, he can is a really big deal because what we see in playoff series is these teams like pre- prepare for each other like at the maximum level and they'll be ready for your pressure with pick and rolls. They'll be they'll find the way to stop what your main course of action is. And that's when we see in random playoff games this random role player who can do a little bit more than just defend and shoot threes. He's going to take over. He's going to be the guy that when your offense is struggling, he's going to take over. He was going to um, do something that the other team's not prepared for. And that by itself, the other team realizing that that's happening will draw attention to him and open up your main game that you're already you're expecting to work in in the Christian Wood KPJ pick and roll. These might not be the names, but imagine if we were contenders right now. And I don't think you'll ever see like they be the third scoring option on a, on a team, or I don't think you go into the game expecting to feed Deshante. But I do think that in a lot of situations, when other stuff isn't working, or when other stuff is working, but but you feel like you need to to like someone gets injured or, or, uh, or someone's in foul trouble and you need something different and your rotations are messed up. I think Kishan is really good at taking advantage of these kinds of weirdnesses and these guys, kinds of like not regular stuff and taking advantage of that and scoring because he's he's always going left, but no team's always going to, no team's ever going to prepare for Kishan when they're facing the Rockets. So he's going to get that and, and he can run with it whenever teams are, are not paying attention to it. Uh, and at the end of the day, if he eventually develops into someone you can reliably go to, that will make him not only, that will probably turn him from um, a high-end, like a, a role-player level starter on a team into someone that you maybe bring off the bench because you value that that versatility and you value that optionality with not, not with your starting lineup, but with your your second units that may not get as much creation as, as your starting lineup. He gets to play in a starting lineup right now, and I think he should because he got Sengun and the whole system that they kind of run around him um, with, with a second unit. So I think maybe not as a scoring option, but as someone you can go to in spots when other stuff's not working, uh, he's a really good, him developing that is really good for the team in the future. No, I definitely agree there. Um, so we can talk about one last guy, um, Armani Brooks, right? Armani Brooks is someone who, you know, wasn't even on a full deal coming into the year. He finally signed the deal to be with the big team. And then at the beginning of the year, it was like, how many minutes is he going to be able to get? Once they moved Tice out of the starting lineup and the injury started to, to kind of take effect, he's gradually got more, more runtime here during the winning streak. You know, last night against the Nets, um, Armani was five of 10 from the field, three of eight from three for 37%. And, you know, one of one from the free throw line, but he also had five rebounds and four assists. And so, you know, four assists, that's not a crazy number, but coming to last year, this was a guy that, he came in and he was kind of like a, a standstill shooter to a certain degree. Right. And, you know, this year we see him doing more movement shooting and those four assists, what that tells me, right. He's taking his scoring gravity. And when that defender's closing out on him, he's able to, you know, either put the ball on the floor or with his shooting gravity, he's running around the screen and he's able to, to get a cut to the rim and, you know, finish well at the rim um, by using his scoring gravity to, to you know, get his man behind him. What have y'all seen from Armani Brooks during the winning streak? Um, and you can even compare that to this year compared to last year. Um, how do you like his development so far, expanding his tools on offense or his defense? And then, um, you know, just touch on his playmaking as, as I kind of framed it there. Prada, I'll go to you first and then we'll do Jackson. Yeah, I think once again, Armani Brooks is breaking out of the mold of the sharpshooter. He's doing other stuff. He's showing that 
okay, I'm not a guy that was out of the league and then I like focus on my shooting to try and make it. He's a guy that has fun, solid fundamentals. He's a guy that is progressively uh, being less and less scared of driving to the rim because a guy that shoots so well and from so far off is always going to have extra space inside. Um, about his playmaking, I think it's really important that we have guys like him and like Tate who have really good IQ and that can make do more stuff other than their specialty. And him being able to, we saw we saw when we were contending a lot. Uh, so PJ Zucker got closed out in the corner, and so he he sometimes drove into into the lane, and then he got to the lane and didn't know what to do. Like that was his game. That was always he knew what to do. So sometimes easy passes he would miss. Sometimes he'd go for some weird folders, and. The fact that Armani Brooks is not doing that, and we saw something that I thought was really impressive. He got closed out in the corner. He drove in, and then he got met by the big man, and he like went baseline, wrapped around him, and fed the ball to Christian Wood under the basket. And we, we all know Christian Wood under the basket more often than not is is a bucket. So I really like that from him. I think something that's really underrated from him is if he's rebounding for a guy that's six foot three, he positions himself really well and he goes up really strong. And he usually we've seen him time and time again, grab rebounds amongst players bigger than him. And it's not because it's, he's strong. It's because he goes up and he calculates really well where the ball is going to fall and he grabs it. Um, I think it's not a it's it's not a skill that you're ever going to build something around, but it's something that it's it's good to have to counter how the defense reacts to you. For sure, and Jackson, you know, you're a U of H guy, Armani as well from from U of H. You know, what have you liked in Armani's development coming into this year and, and so far in the win streak internally as well? You know, I think that with where Armani was at during this. Uh, during this stint for the Rockets, I mean, basically his first, his first like quality game of the season was the road game against the Celtics. He played 25, he played 25 minutes. He had 17 points in that game, went five, what, five of nine, five of eight from, from behind the three point line. And that was kind of like his, his breakout game. Now I will say that that game happened. Uh, and that was, let me double check the numbers here. That was Garrison Matthews fourth game as a Houston rocket. And I have made this take before and I'm, I'm firmly sticking with it. I think that the arrival of Garrison Matthews as another like supposed sharpshooter kind of put Armani a little bit in the hot seat. Like, Oh, Oh, they're bringing in another guy. Who's like a bona fide sharpshooter. And if he starts getting buckets, I might be out of a job, right? Like, I mean, he's on a non-guaranteed deal. It's a very team-friendly contract. Like, they could have very easily just been like, yep, we found something in this guy. We're going to get rid of you. And so I think that kind of brought Armani Brooks out of whatever, like, shooting funk he was in. Or I mean, because basically, it was right. It was that game. And then moving forward, he started playing with a lot more confidence. And I think that was the biggest thing is last season, we saw Armani playing with that level of confidence, that killer mentality that I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to get buckets. No matter what I do, I'm coming in, I'm shooting the ball. I don't care if there's a hand in my face. I don't care if I'm five feet behind the three-point line. I am getting my shot off, right? And he stuck true to that last season, which is why he had so many explosive games last season and why Rockets fans were so like fervently, they wanted him signed to an NBA deal. And finally it got done. Cool. Everybody's ecstatic about it. But then this season, granted, he was just getting spot minutes here and there. You know, it's it's really tough to not get consistent minutes off the bench. That said, he wasn't doing anything with the minutes when he did get it. He had a couple games, you know, eight minutes here, 15, 16, 10, you know, wasn't doing anything with those little pocket minutes that he was getting, even in garbage time. So then they bring in another sharpshooter in Garrison Matthews. Armani's like, oh, my job might be on the line. And then like immediately started playing with that level of confidence that we were accustomed to, to seeing from him and hasn't looked back since he's, he's playing with, you know, a lot more purpose on the floor coming off screens, ready to shoot. And like you alluded to, and Prada already alluded to, we're starting to see other dimensions to his game. Right. And I think that's the most important part is when shooting is such a big part of your game, which it is for Armani, it is for Garrison Matthews. You need to realize when defenses are overplaying you. And I think both of those guys have done a good enough job so far, and hopefully it'll continue to get better of utilizing their gravity as shooters 
to open up little opportunities for back cuts, for kill cuts towards the rim. Because when they do that, when they when the ball is in you know, Jay Sean Tate's hands or Alperin Shingun's hands, all you need is like a quick little dip, like a shoulder fake to one direction and then take off to the other direction. If the defense is overplaying you because you're a shooter, you're going to get easy backdoor buckets all day. And so I think that's that's been an area that I'd love to see out of this Rockets team just as a whole is – They've all been more effective about moving without the basketball, not just standing in one spot. It's not five guys standing around the perimeter trying to ISO the opposing defense to death. It's guys actually moving, a lot of pick-and-roll action, a lot of side-to-side action, and they're mixing in those little cuts here and there, which completely just opens things up and keeps the defense honest. So Armani's done a great job. I think the biggest hang-up with Armani, and this is where, at the end of the day, if it comes down to somebody getting squeezed from the rotation – it sucks, but Armani might be the one to get squeezed between he and he and Garrison Matthews. Although I do think there's a home for both of those guys in the rotation moving forward. I think you have to find a way to get shooters like that, some time on the court. Um, Armani's defense, you know, he tries, he really does try defensively, but he's just like outclassed at times because he's he's smaller. Um, you know, unless he's guarding another small guy like him on the floor, he's just missing out on a lot of size, a lot of strength. Um, it's not for lack of trying. I mean, he comes from University of Houston. Uh, he's a solid rebounding guard. He, he's a good high point rebounder. He knows how to you know position himself or box outs and whatnot. Because if you don't rebound at U of H, you don't play right under coach Kelvin Sampson. So it's not like he's a bad defender. It's just that at the NBA level, so many guys are so much bigger and stronger and faster that I feel like that's where he misses out a little bit, unfortunately. But offensively, he's been he's been great. Uh, and seeing him be able to actually put the ball on the floor and do some things other than just be a catch and shoot player off of passes and spot ups and dribble handoffs. That's been a nice little dimension added dimension to his game. Um, that's going to do it for our second segment though. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of Gary bird and then we're going to preview the rockets next two games. They are on a back to back. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. Apollo HOU, all Houston, all original. And we're back. Um, So, last night, Rockets Twitter streets were ablaze with you know, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Gary Bird, a.k.a. Gary Legend, a.k.a., you know, well, I'm sure we'll have more. I think there was, I think OVO Gary. Sorry, that was the last one that, that Rouge coined as well. So And Mad Matthews, come on. Mad Matthews, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Which, you know, as much as I love Vernon Maxwell, we got to beat him at the Twitter Suite event. You know, I haven't seen a lot of traction on, on uh Mad Matthew, but we'll see. Maybe it'll catch on and, and it'll get going from there. But, um. So I want to do two things. First, what is your preferred Garrison Matthews nickname at this minute? Um, Because there is, like I said, there is, you know, a little bit of debate there. So what's your preferred nickname for him right now? Two, what's your favorite um, Gary Bird moment so far? And three, um, we'll say, let's get a a contract prediction on what you think the deal he gets um, when they end up converting him. Because I think it feels it feels like an inevitability right now. Obviously, you know, things could go left, but we'll just pause it for now that, you know, it, it were to happen. So, Prod, you're a contract guy. So, I am going to throw it to you first, then we'll get Jackson next. Um, yeah, so, I mean, favorite nickname, it's got to be, it's got to be Gary Bird. That's, like, it's one of my favorite nicknames ever. Like, who came up with that? It's just a genius. Oh, I actually, um, so, so. I'm going to pause right there. The guy who came up with it, actually, um, he tweeted it at me with a picture of the original screenshot where he did the Photoshop. Uh, that guy is now being interviewed by the Houston Chronicle about the nickname. So they messaged me about <laughs> it and they were like, hey, we want to interview this guy. Can you get us in touch with him? So we'll, we'll Hollywood Don Knock at it again. Look at Jesus, that. Dude. Hey, I'm paying it. I'm paying it for it as well. Now I'm getting getting this guy a little shine. So hopefully we'll know more about him and, uh, you know, how he came up with the name. But all right. So go ahead, Prod. The favorite favorite moment, and uh, what do you think the contract's going to be? Um, yeah, a favorite moment. That's really tough. I think favorite moment has to be, like he's had a lot of big moments, and I, I, I wrote yeah. something for, for a ball on this. I think it has to be that three that sealed the game against the Bulls because that's what kicked off this entire winning streak. 
he said great game. He said like that moment just last game where he stripped hard and then like he dove to the floor and then he was hyped. Um, but I'm gonna go with uh, with that that game winning shot against the Bulls. Or game, no, I think I'm not really sure if it was game winning, but no, that was, and that was then, a moment. So yeah, contract, yeah. contract. Then contract. I have had a lot of like people saying that I'm not in the right when I say this, but I think they should sign him as soon as possible if they have to wave house. And I'm a little like suspect for saying this, but if they have to to wave house, they should wave house. I think in a when we go back to being healthy, I think he's going to take over at, at small forward because he's a good defender. Um, I think they should sign him as quick as possible because even though he's restricted and nobody else can sign him to a contract, Aiden's talk, and I'm pretty sure with the, how good he's playing that other teams are, are like tampering per se, saying, oh, if you if you hit like the free agency market this offseason, we're offering you X, X, and X. And, I'm, and I feel like you shouldn't let it come to that. You should sign him early on while other teams might think this is a fluke because we know it isn't a fluke. We know this is him working hard and we know that in past seasons he's had two seasons in the NBA and he's shot I think 38% and 41% in them so he is the sophomore shooter he's hustling so I don't think that's something you can teach so I think that's also true about him so you should sign him to as long a deal as you can you gotta look at, at Duncan Robinson who's a, probably a better shooter but a very much worse defender and see how good the heat looked for three years with that deal because they signed him when nobody wanted him and he helped grew that contract massively. So I think you have to give him, I don't know, I think we have the full MLE so we can offer him up to four years, uh, up to I think eight point something million a year. I don't think you should pay him that much, but I think you should negotiate with him. You should start at like, Two point two point five million a year, or 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 a Daniel House sized contract at three point five million a year, and he's probably going to ask for five or something like that. And if he sticks at five, I don't have a problem paying him five million a year as long as some of the years on the line are not fully guaranteed. Uh, but I think you gotta do what you gotta do to keep him here, because the longer you let him shine without an actual contract in place, the more noise he's going to make around the league and the more money he's going to make. So you, you got to look like a genius now and sign him while, while people might think it's a fluke. You know, five million a year for the best closer in the history of the NBA. It's pretty good. It's pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty value-friendly deal. Uh, I don't know. Jackson, dude, Max Kellerman said, I, I want to take the last shot. Jackson, uh, we'll jump to you. So current favorite Gary nickname, um, favorite moment and what do you think on the contract? Shout out to Prod for bringing up the uh, Max Kellerman Iguodala quote. Love that. Um, no, I, I think favorite moment, it's really, it's honestly so tough. Um, like Prod said, there's so many good ones to pick from. I, I'm basically between two of them though. Um, and I guess it's it's almost recency bias where it's like the very first big moment, which was the uh, the huge three against the Bulls the, from the corner, the super clutch three uh, to to you know end the 15 game losing streak. That was amazing. Obviously, diving on the ball or diving on the floor, the loose ball against James Harden, the MVP chant while he was hitting the free throws, like just that was really amazing to see as well. Um, I'll go with I'll go with an unconventional moment because I, I mean there have been too many good moments to choose on the floor. I loved uh, when he did his first uh, his first podium and he was with the media and he was talking about uh, uh, his his celebration when he hits threes and he like does a little fist pump and he said and I quote our, from Garrison saying Armani always you know jokes with me because he says I have the worst celebrations. And he goes, I'm just a country boy. I have no swag whatsoever. And I mean, like the media room just erupted. We were all like laughing. That quote did the rounds on social media. Um, Garrison just strikes me. He's such a like down to earth dude. He's just a hardworking dude. He's happy to you know be back at a, in a position where he can you know have success at the NBA level. Uh, you know, he, it sounded like he had offers from other teams that ultimately chose the Rockets as the place where he, you know, he didn't want to be on a two-way contract at first. He didn't think he does, you know, should be on a two-way contract. And I guess if you're an NBA player, you've got to have that kind of mentality. So as far as the contract situation goes, I think that, I think it's being a little bit overplayed in the idea that the Rockets like 
have to sign him right away, right? He's on a two-way deal, so he can be active for up to 50 games this season. So as of right now, if he's active for every single game, like moving forward, uh, they'll have to clear a roster spot for him by March 6th because uh, then he'll he'll run out of games at that point. I don't think we're going to realistically get to that point. And I also, like, I, I'm somewhere in the middle, right? I don't think that the Rockets need to make it last all the way till March 6th. I don't think they need to, they need to like, squeeze pennies and do that. Um, I think they should get him locked down to an actual deal. They've got their MLE to work with, so they can do that. Uh, that said, they don't have the roster spot, right? I don't think they need to go necessarily go about waiving Daniel House Jr. to, to get that spot open. Uh, I'd argue that there's going to be some level of a natural trade that takes place at this point you know, in the season, whether it's Eric Gordon being shipped out or DJ Augustine potentially being moved <clears throat> to a contender or Daniel Huss Jr. being moved for a second round pick. I don't know, right? There's there's all, all kinds of things that might happen. Maybe a John Wall trade materializes out of thin air, right? There's so many different things that could happen before the trade deadline hits the season. And so I think that right now the Rockets aren't in a position where they have to sign him. Yes, his production has been great, but this is absolutely a situation where if Rafael Stone is, is talking to you know, Matthews is agent and Matthews. And he's like, look, you, you're playing great for us. We want to lock you down on NBA deal. This is what we have in mind. Those discussions, just like prod, you said, you know, there's other teams that might be reaching out, you know, tampering a little bit, what have you. The Rockets are already absolutely having internal discussions right now about what they're going to do with Garrison Matthews. Right. And I'd be, I'd be shocked if they haven't at some point already sat down and been like, Hey, you're, you're playing great for us. Like we're, we're going to get you taken care of with a contract. We just don't have the roster spots to do it right now. Right. Like that could very easily be a sticking point for them where they're just like, Hey man, you're, you're playing phenomenal, but we're capped out with 15 guys and, and we're not going to cut or wave one of them just, just to get you a spot. So we're going to get you taken care of, but it'll probably be in like January, February, not like right, right now. And so those discussions are probably already ongoing. If they haven't started yet, they're going to start soon. And I fully expect the team's going to get something figured out there because for a guy with with his size, with his shooting, with his hustle and grit and you know ability to play defensively, I think that's the big part is you see so many shooters in this league, Duncan Robinson, uh, uh, Davis Bertans, guys who JJ are like Redick, defensive. Going back to him. JJ Redick, sure. But even JJ Redick a little bit, you know, less of a defensive liability, I feel like, than those other two guys. Yeah. But you see so many of those like quote unquote like shooters who that's all they can do, right? Like they're just, they're bona fide shooters and then they're complete defensive liabilities and you have to make up for it at the other four spots on the floor. I don't think that's necessarily the case with, uh, with Garrison Matthews. I think that he can hold his own defensively. Is he ever going to be like a lockdown one-on-one -on -one defensive player like Jay Sean Tate? Yeah, probably not, but he holds his own defensively. He's a good team defensive player. We saw that that scheme against the Brooklyn Nets work because Garrison Matthews is a good team defender, right? He plays team defense really well. They bought into the scheme. They were trapping James Harden. The help defense was there. The rotations were crisp, all of that. And you, that doesn't happen unless you've got a guy who's, you know, bought into what he's doing. So I, I think that ultimately they're going to get him signed to a deal, but I don't think it has to happen like ASAP, ASAP. For sure. And so we are running short on time. So, you know, to do, I'm going to run through a little bit of stuff on the, the next two games and I'm going to tee up uh, some short questions for y'all. Uh, to close out. So um, the Rockets are going into a back-to-back. -back. They play Friday night at 7 p.m. And then they play again um, an early game against the Grizzlies on Saturday. I believe it's at 11 o'clock a.m. Um, for the Bucks, Dante DiVincenzo is out. Uh, George Hill is out. Um, Heads Brooke up, the, the, out. The, the, the Grizzlies game, that's not the early one. They play the early one the next Saturday against the Pistons. The it's like the okay. weird 11 a.m. one. Okay. Uh, both of these games are 7 p.m. tip-offs. So okay, gotcha, gotcha. Awesome okay. 11 a.m. one. To me. <laughs> okay, that's 11 a.m. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay so, sorry. Sorry, we don't live in the future, no Prod. No good. I'll, I'll get it. Um, so, yeah. So, then for the Grizzlies, uh, Kyle Anderson is day-to-day -day with a back injury. Brandon Clark is out with a knee injury. Sam Merrill out. And then – most importantly, John Morant is in the health and safety protocol. So um, no jaw for the Grizzlies, for the Bucks. Giannis is back. He was dealing with some stuff, but um, he should be good to go and suit up in this game. Um, just real quick for the Bucks game, I'm going to ask each of y'all, who do you think that they have guarding Giannis? Do you think it's Tate or do you think they should, should try to use someone else as the primary defender uh, on Giannis? Um, Jackson, we'll go to you first. Christian Wood. Like, like legitimately, I, I, I legit think that's going to be the matchup. <laughs> like, I think, I, I think they're going to have Tate on him a little bit, but I don't know if that's going to be like their, their go-to preliminary matchup, but 
legitimately, I think this is a matchup where Christian has been very vocal about looking forward to matchups against Kevin Durant and Giannis and Tedekumpo. He says like he, he's, he has those like circled on his calendar, all that good stuff. Um, I legitimately want to see Christian Wood like try to rise to the occasion and guard Giannis. Um, do I think it's going to work? Like, no, Giannis is one of the top three players in the NBA. You maybe make the argument he's the best player in the NBA right now. Um, and he's going to get his. Like, he's, he's just, he's a bulldozer. The only thing you can do is try to make him work hard for those shots. Um, but I think that Christian is the only guy on the team that has the right, like, size, speed, athleticism and I mean, not strength. Like Giannis is built like a freight train um, at six, 11, seven feet tall. It's just, you know, he's a free, he's the Greek freak for a reason. That said, I think Christian Wood's going to be the one guy that's going to be able to give him some problems uh, because he's got the height and the length to be able to actually contest some of his shots uh, as he's rising up in and around the paint. Whereas Jay Sean, sure. Jay Sean's, you know, the best on ball defender that the Rockets have may, maybe make the argument it's Eric Gordon. Uh, but Jay Sean Tate might be the best like one-on-one individual lockdown defender the Rockets have. Even then, like once Giannis gets going downhill with a full head of steam, he's just going to rise up and finish over Jay Sean Tate. So I think Christian Wood at least stands a little bit more of a chance as to maybe getting, getting a fingertip on the basketball while Giannis is trying to finish in and around the rim. Uh, and plus that allows him to kind of sag off of Giannis and be that like paint presence as Giannis is out on the perimeter, like hang back a little bit, that kind of thing. And maybe clog things up for some of the other players, the other driving lanes. So that's what I want to see out of Christian Wood in this matchup. Prod, what about you? Yeah, I think now that I'm looking at it, there's not a single player that I'm comfortable putting on Giannis. If there was ever a player who's comfortable putting on Giannis, I think everyone else other than Wood is too short. I think size it, is too slow to keep up to keep up with them on the perimeter. So I'm going to go with the double him every time he has the ball. I think that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to make the entire the rest of the Bucks lineup beat beat us instead. Uh, just like we did with James Harden. Like the, he, Harden got more ISO touches than I think uh Giannis is going to get just because there's not a single one, not a single player who can somewhat face Giannis. Either either like Every single one of them has a weakness that that Giannis can make a strength of his. So yeah, I'll I'll just lock in the double team him. Hopefully Thais doesn't fall into the mistake of starting Daniel Thais again, because whatever I actually, then I, I was gonna say I think I, I think looking at this game, I realized it like as I was like I'm, I'm kind of doubling back now. I still kind of stick with my I want to see what on Giannis take, but I think Daniel Thais is gonna start this game. Because the the Bucks have been rolling out Bobby Portis and Giannis Antetokounmpo in their starting front court, and so I think Stephen Silas is going to view this as an opportunity where he needs to have the size in the front court out there to match up with them. And so I think at that point, it's the argument of okay, who are you going to put on Giannis between Tice or Wood? I'd prefer to see Wood, but I think it's going to be Daniel Tice checking him to start the game. Yeah, but like I was saying, I would rather like not play Tice and like just try to outgun them because I don't think Tice is going to stop. Yanis whatsoever. I think he's if he's on the perimeter, he's too he's too slow. If he's guarding like on the post, he's strong enough, but he's not big enough. Then Elta is only six foot eight. So I I would hope that Silas goes like five out or not five, like the usual stuff that that we do and just tries to outgun the help the books are cold and outgun them. So I'm going to throw a name out here of, of someone who I don't want to maybe be the primary defender on Giannis, but someone who I want to get a, a look at at least what he looks like guarding Giannis. And that's uh, Kenya Martin Jr. I think, you know, his, with his athleticism, um, I, I think, you know, he may be able to do some interesting things, um, recovering for blocks and maybe be able to move, move his feet a little bit better than Christian Wood. Um, but I, I think Christian Wood should be the primary defender and maybe give uh, KMJ some, some, you know, spot minutes with that matchup. Um, moving on to the Grizzlies game, uh, to close our final question with John Morant out, right? Which Grizzlies player are you mo most worried about the Rockets defending? Um, because they are on, on a big winning streak as well. Um, you know, some people may not know that, but since John Morant has been out of their lineup, they've actually won, I think, every game that they've played so far. Um, I don't know about tonight, but um, Prod, we'll go to you. Who are you worried about right now with, with Morant out for the Grizzlies? I think <laughs> it's weird to say this, but I think Stephen Adams always gives us trouble. He's not going to be the guy that's going to win the game for you, but he's definitely going to be a mismatch. Uh, and scoring-wise, I mean, I'm looking at they just played the Lakers and they just beat them. I, you've got to look at 
at Karen Jackson Jr. Uh, I think he's the other star in the Grizzlies' minds, and if he gets going, it's going to be really tough to stop him just because he's so versatile. He can score inside, he can step out to the perimeter. But at the same time, he is the archetype of big that I would like to see Christian Wood do well against because he's not going to overpower you. He's going to be more agile, and I think that's one of Christian Wood's strengths, so we'll see how he does. So the Grizzlies did lose their game last night against uh, the Dallas Mavericks. So sorry, I, I lost that in you know all the the Gary Bird uh, hype of last night. But Jackson, now over to you. Who are you worried about on the Grizzlies with John Morant out? Well, I mean, obviously the Grizzlies are a better team with John Morant out. At least that's what NBA Twitter has led me to believe, based <laughs> on uh, the Rockets are apparently a better team without Jalen Green. So because the I Grizzlies are now six and one without John Morant. So clearly he was the issue for that team. No, um, Desmond Bain, like Desmond Bain is just such a bona fide shooter. Um, I'm, I'm terrified of him, like just lighting up the Rockets because I feel like there's a bit of a tendency at times, even like in the Nets game, like Patty Mills wound up going like three of nine, but he had some wide open looks and like just missed. And I feel like there's a bit of a tendency at times defensively for this Rockets team, as good as they've been, uh, and as promising as some of their outings have been on the defensive side, I feel like when it comes to like just putting a body on like shooters, I feel like sometimes they really struggle as, uh, as to just, Hey, there's like one, maybe two guys on the floor that like you really can't leave open. And yet somehow they find a way to manage to leave those guys open. Uh, Desmond Bain is like right there in that mold. Um, he had 23 against the Lakers in a 108 95 Grizzlies win against LA again, without John Morant. Uh, shot five of 11 from the three-point arc. So he's a guy you don't want to mess around with. Uh, I think he could, you know, potentially light the Rockets up if they're not careful with him. That's going to do it for us tonight. Um, want Again, again, want to thank Jackson uh, for joining us and, and being very generous with his time. Um, he is very busy with all of his locked-on stuff and, you know, getting to go to the actual Toyota Center and cover the game, the media section. You know, that's super cool. I mean, I've been able to see him there a couple of times, you know, in action. It's awesome to see. Um, with that said, obviously you can follow me at Don Knock on Twitter and the Air app. Prod, go ahead and tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Prodigy NBA without the Y. Everything I do from articles, podcasts to the Twitter spaces will eventually be linked there. So that's it. And of course, Jackson, if, if the people again have been living under a rock, let them know where they can find you at. You can't, you, why do you team me up like this, Don? You, you treat it like I'm some, I'm not, I'm not Hollywood Don Knock. Okay. The people don't know who I am. I'm um, trying to, I'm trying to show you how to do it. I'm trying to show you how to just, take your Hollywood to the next level. Yeah. Just here, no Hollywood Jackson. We're going to start with no Hollywood. If it's going to be Hollywood, it's got to be Hollywood Gatlin. You can't be, you can't ah, be Hollywood know. Jackson. I love it. Um, no, you, you can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. That's where I post everything and yell about, uh, rockets and other nonsense. So excellent. And, you know, of course, subscribe, rate, review the pod on Apple and Spotify, um, follow the Apollo launchpad account and the Apollo HOU main account. We may have some Gary bird merch in the works, uh, be on the lookout for that. So obviously if you follow everyone here, you'll be able to, you know, find that right when it drops, but, um, until next time, you know, everyone be safe and go Rockets.